Well, thanks, Lani. Yeah. Don't you love God's presence? Yeah? Most of you. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you tonight about the hiding place. If we could have a look at Job chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Job's request of God is that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Then he asks a question. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait. So first he, he, he asks God a question. Um, and then he asked God another question. And then he obviously was in a relationship with God because he then made a decision after he answered, asked that question, those two questions to God. But it doesn't tell us what God said to him. But his conclusion to the question was that he will wait until change comes. And we know about Job that Job went through the most suffering that anyone could really bear in this life, I think. Well, he's an example to us of somebody who went through so much suffering in his life, but, and yet he maintained his integrity with God. We know he lost all of his, his uh, livestock. He lost his houses. They were burnt up. He lost his children and he lost all uh, natural gain or any uh, hope of restoration in the natural. Um, However, he didn't lose his wife and he didn't lose his integrity. And we know that deliverance finally came to Job when he prayed for his friends. But all the time when he was just receiving words from his friends and even his wife told him, look at your life, it's, it's worthless, why don't you just curse God and die? In other words, his own wife even told him that she recommended that his life was such a mess that he might as well just commit suicide. And yet, in all of that, he never lost his integrity. Because deep down, he knew that God was good. Even though there was some confusion in his mind as to why this was happening or where it was coming from, he knew deep down or his experience with God was throughout his life was that God was good. And even though there may be these calamities, these trials, these difficulties, this pain coming upon him in this present moment, his life experience spoke something different, spoke something greater, and that was he knew that God was good. And when he 
proposes this question to God, we see it's like the, a type of humanity crying out for a hiding place. And I don't know about you, but it, sometimes if you've been through such trouble in life and such difficulties and you're just pinned up against a wall and you just want to hide, not that you necessarily want to take your life, but you're certainly asking the question that Job answered that if I do die, will I get another chance to live again? Why? Because God had spoken Job's destiny over his life. And he knew that there were promises that God had to fulfill and God was going to fulfill in his life that hadn't been fulfilled up until this stage. That's why even though he felt like dying, he felt like his very life was getting removed from him and even his wife told him to finish it up now, he knew, he knew that he, was, he, he must live again to fulfil that destiny that had been spoken over him by the through the presence of God. So he went to the Lord with his question, will I live again? And we know the Lord would have given him a positive answer. Yes, you will live again. Your life uh, will be restored. Because he says in the next verse, I will wait. I will wait until change comes. So I just want to encourage you here tonight that God has brought you here and He wants to tell you uh, that just hang in there. Just be patient. The things that He has promised in your life will come to pass, but you must find a hiding place in His presence. You must find safety and security only in His presence. In His presence, your divine destiny will be fulfilled. It's just a matter of time. I will wait until change comes. So we see Job was a type of representation of Christ during a period or dispensation of time called the conscience period. There was no law in that time. And man did that which was according to his conscience that God had put the moral code on the heart of man, and man operated under that conscience. It's called the conscience period. And, and, and Job was a, a representation of Christ in that time. So many things that Job uh, commented on or uh, made a reference to, we see that in the life of Jesus. Even when he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Because deep down, even though there was some confusion as to where the trouble was coming from or which realm this trouble was coming from, he, he had dedicated himself to trust in a good God. So as we go into the law period, we see Moses also found a hiding place in Christ. So during, right through from the beginning of the Bible to Genesis to Revelation, we see a revelation of Christ. And whenever we see Christ in the Scriptures, we find a hiding place. So we find a place that we can hide from the storms around us. And we, we find His promises there. Moses also found that place. He had such a desire to get into God's glory that he climbed a mountain. If, if I just get up this mountain, I can get into God's glory away from these distractions of these 
other human beings. And we know that God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, if you really want to see my glory, be careful because my glory, when it appears to sinful man, it will have adverse effects on your life. So I'm going to prepare a rock for you. And I, in fact, I've already prepared a rock, but I'm going to guide you into that rock. And I'm going to put you in that rock. And as I pass by, my hand will cover you. And uh, you'll see the remnants as I pass by. And we know that that remnant of God's glory changed his countenance. And so much so that the presence of God came on his life in such a special way that even though he didn't get to physically enter into the promised land, he got to enter into the promised land of God's glory. And so much so that Satan was worried that after he died, physically died, that he would rise again. So there was a contention over Moses' body. And the archangel uh, Michael, I believe, had to come to the rescue of Moses' body. So we see something happened in the New Testament uh, where, where God's, God's presence that was manifested as anger on sin was changed to become peace. And we know that that happened at the cross. We know between the Old Testament and the New Testament was a time when Jesus came into the world and took, took the, the weight of mankind's sin upon himself, went to the cross and took all of man's sin Every man that had lived up until the time of Christ and every, every man, woman and child that was to live after Christ, he took that sin upon himself. God's wrath came down upon Christ and burnt, literally burnt up that sin. It just was consumed by God's wrath. And Paul the Apostle, after Calvary, in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, he reveals God not as an angry God, but as a God of peace. So we know that something happened to the wrath of God after Calvary. And many preachers say that God's wrath was satisfied through the offering of Christ the sacrifice of Christ. And Paul the Apostle knew the Father as a God of peace. And he was, you know, a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. He calls himself the chiefest of all sinners. And yet he came to know this God of peace. And this God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet shortly. So in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we see the list of these Old Testament saints. And we see that their life laid down was towards a promise of Christ that they actually never received in their life. And down towards verse 40, it says that all of these obtained a good testimony through faith 
they did not receive the promise, but God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So what is the better thing that God has provided for us that these saints never got to inherit? It is Christ. This is the inheritance of Christ, the hiding place. There's a place to hide in Christ from the enemy. And what a privilege it is that these men and women, you can read through from verse 37, they went through so much persecution and suffering in order that your faith today would be perfected. Interesting. It says that they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted and slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted and tormented, whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. But they didn't receive a promise. But we have received the promise of Christ. So what sort of lives should we live? In Hebrews uh, chapter 6, like Paul says, He warns the church about the dangers of falling away, the dangers of going back into a life of sin. Then he goes on to say, but beloved, there's a different story over your life. And he says, do not be sluggish or do not be lazy in your service in the house of God or with the saints of God, but continue in faith with patience, that you may inherit the promise. So when we think about this great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, men and women that laid their lives down for an inheritance that they never fully received, so that we today could sit here with a clean slate, with a life free from sin, with a soul delivered from the power of the enemy and a body healed through the finished work of Calvary. So we are completely free. And what we've received is greater than any saint has received through any previous dispensation. And it's it's an invite to enter into, into death, actually. It starts, Christian life begins with death. And... In Colossians 2, verse 12, it says, We are buried with Him in baptism. We identify with Christ in His burial. And this is what Job was crying out for. He said that you would hide me in the earth until the wrath passes. So mankind today is looking for a hiding place. But they're looking in the wrong places. They're looking in the pubs. They're looking in the strip parlours. They're looking in the in the wherever. They're looking at Hollywood. They're trying to satisfy a longing in their heart to be hidden in Christ. But we won't receive life unless we first die. And on the day of Pentecost, 
They, after Peter preached the gospel, the people that heard, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And he's, Peter replied, repent and be baptised. Repent, die to yourself, identify uh, with the death of Christ and you'll be raised a new person. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 12, we're buried with him in baptism in which you are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him. Having forgiven you all trespasses or all sin, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. So there was a, there was a handwriting of requirement that was against you, against your life until you came into Christ. And it's called the justice of God against sin and disobedience. But in Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, the justice of God is satisfied. And that the blood of Jesus literally wipes out the, any judgment which is against your life. As you are hidden in Him, He no longer sees any sin or stain or any corruption in your life. That's the good news gospel. It's completely wiped out. It was against you, but it's gone. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And not only that, he's disarmed principalities and powers. So there are demonic powers and there are demonic principalities that are against your life and were controlling your life, and they are now disarmed through the power of what Jesus accomplished for you. He then went on and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So he sets us up for success through obedience. And as we, we sang in, in that song, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So we're delivered from fear. We're delivered from evil. Though I walk through the valley, what is the valley of the shadow of death? It is a place in this world where you walk and there are, you walk in the midst of these principalities of darkness that were formerly against your life. That was set out to destroy your life. Now you can walk confidently in any place, in any environment, in this earth without fear. Freedom from fear because of what Jesus has done. Not only that, he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And when you think about a table, when you sit down to dinner with your family... It's usually a time when you, when you don't answer your phone, when you sit in peace and everything's quiet and you can relax and, and eat your food in peace. But the amazing thing is that for us children of God who are hidden in a covenant with Jesus Christ, that we can experience such peace even in the presence of our enemies. In fact, He is sending... His ministering spirits, his angels, 
to protect us from the enemy. So even though the enemy is there, he cannot touch us when we are in the secret place, when we're hidden in Christ. It's only when we come out of that place that we are exposed. So he sets a table for us in the presence of the enemy. And it's in that place that he boasts. The Father wants to boast over your life. And that's why he's feeding you in the presence of the enemy. Because he's, he's showing these demonic rebels that this is what my children get when they obey me. This is what my children get. And he's celebrating us. And that's kind of celebration that the father had over Job. Same celebration the father had over Jesus. Remember when Satan appeared into the presence of God and God said to him, where have you been? And he said, going to and fro throughout the earth. And God said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? I mean, there is no one like him on the earth. Like, have you seen him? And God was boasting about Job's life. Have you considered my servant Job? Would God say that about your life today? I believe he would if you're hidden in Christ. Because when Jesus was baptised, the heavens opened and the voice of the Father came down and said, this is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. He showed him off, not only to man, but to the principalities of darkness. And we know that Satan, as God feeds us in his presence, as we're sitting here feeding on the Word of God, as we're worshipping him, there are demonic uh, creatures that you can't see with your natural eyes looking in, wishing that they could just get to you. But you can't see, but there's actually a host of angels around this place and even in this room right now that are protecting you, that are protecting your life. If, they, if the Father was to remove their presence, I don't know what would happen. But we know what happened to Jesus when the Father removed the angels from him. But Satan, in his cheeky state, said to God, he's only like that because you've got a hedge of protection around him. What was that hedge of protection? It was the angelic realm. Paul spoke about the ministering spirits that have been engaged to the heirs of salvation. And Satan said to God, just remove the hedge. Remove a little bit of the hedge so I can get to him. I, and there was no way that Satan was able to pass that hedge of protection unless the father removed some of it. In fact, Satan said, you've made a hedge around him over all of his household and that everything that he has on every side. That's pretty good. Do you know there's a protection, a hedge of protection over everything that you have on every side of your life and everywhere you go? David knew that in Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place, and that word dwell, it's a Hebrew word which means a covenant relationship, like a marriage. 
like a marriage covenant. When we enter into a marriage covenant, everything that that person has or possesses becomes ours. And when we enter enter into a, a marriage covenant through Jesus with the Father, everything that he has becomes yours. And we know that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And, and Jesus said, you know, when they came to arrest him, they said, well, why are you coming, you know, with swords and clubs? Do you not know that my father could release 12 legions of angels? And according to the a Roman legion, there was over 6,000 fighting men in a legion and over 700 horsemen. Father has, and they, I believe they were the angels that had to withdraw to allow Jesus to be arrested. And I believe the whole demonic realm was focused on Jesus and was celebrating that they were able to get their hands onto him. And Peter came in his flesh thinking it was a battle of flesh. And, but Jesus rebuked him and, and said, get, you know, get back. He who fights with the sword will die with the sword. And in that place, Jesus was able to, uh, to be pure and surrendered into the will of the Father. So in Psalm 91, the promise is if we abide in that secret place, that it's a place of abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And in that place, he says, I will save the Lord. He's my refuge and my fortress. In other words, he is my protection in that place. My God in him I will trust. David knew what he was talking about. He was undefeated in all of his battles. Even when the odds, when he was outnumbered thousands to one, he was undefeated because he knew how to uh, activate the spiritual realm. And he understood that the fight is not against flesh and blood. He understood that everything that we see in the natural is a slave to what is going on in the spirit realm. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. And the promise is that He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. So there are trappings, there are real trappings in this world that the devil has made for you. There are snares that he's waiting for you to walk into. That's why we need to hide ourselves in Christ. It's our only safety. He is our hiding place. Psalm 91 verse 4, he says, He will cover you with his feathers. Okay, this is speaking about angel protection. The feathers of God speak about the cherubim and the seraphim, the ministering spirits that are sent out And their purpose is to minister to the heirs of salvation. You are the heirs of salvation. You you are called to inherit the throne of God. Everything that Jesus has will become yours. You, You will be sharing his throne for the rest of eternity. And for that to happen, he has ordained angels for you to protect you and to keep you under his wings you will take refuge. In verse 5, it says, because of that, you'll get 24-7 protection. Okay, so 
God of Israel doesn't sleep nor slumber, neither do his angels. Why? Because they're in his presence night and day. When you get to heaven, you won't need a bed. You'll be resting in him, resting in that glory of God, his eternal light. There's no darkness in the new Jerusalem. Why? Because the glory of God is the light. The light himself will be... The new Jerusalem is the throne of God. That's going to be your eternal dwelling place. You can read about that in in Revelation 21 or Revelation 19, I think. It's, It's a real place. It has a real size. It has real dimensions. And it's where Jesus lives. And Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions, but I go to prepare a place for you, for my bride. He's preparing it right now as we get ready now in our lives He's getting a place ready for you in eternity. It's our eternal dwelling place. I came to know uh, the the angels of God uh, in in my life uh, in a very real way uh, over protection, uh, through protecting me uh, from one of those snares that the devil had uh, put before me. I remember, firstly, when, when I first came to know Jesus and gave my heart to him when I was 18, I was, um, had a, a guy that was, was living in, in one of our, our houses and, and he, was, um, he was into all sorts of martial arts and, and he, was, he was actually, you know, he had a, quite a few demons and we were, we were praying for him and, and he started you know, the devil started speaking through him and, uh, and he, he spoke to me in this gruff voice and said, I hate you, Jules, like this. <laughs> and then he said, I want to kill you. <laughs> and I was like, I, I wasn't frightened, you know. I was like, wow, this is exciting. This is real. <laughs> like, wow, spiritual realm's real. And I was like, I was like, eating in the presence of the enemies, you know, I was just enjoying Jesus. I didn't know about, you know, uh, deliverance or anything like that, but it was a very real experience. And then I realized, yeah, there, there is a devil that hates you. And if he could get his hands on you, he would kill you. But he can't, he can't touch us if we're hidden in Christ. And uh, I remember about 25 years ago, I was working at a building site down in, Bronte, down on the beaches, and I had picked up a labourer from the uh, from the backpackers. He was a Canadian fellow. He wasn't a Christian, and he told me on 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 the way to work that he'd had a dream the night before, and he saw us in a church. He didn't go to church, but he saw me standing up the front, preaching like I am now, and he said that the roof started caving in and beams started to fall. And as he came over to me and we walked together down the aisle outside the church, uh, everything just fell either side and we were protected. I thought that was a bit odd um, because at that time I I hadn't preached in church before, even though it was a strong desire, it was a passion of my heart. I knew God had called me. Uh, into serving in in church and in that way. But at that time, 
there was no, seemed to be no open doors and, and no opportunity uh, to serve in that way in, in any of the churches that I'd been in. Um, so anyway, a couple of hours later, we were excavating in front of this large stone wall and there were big stones, maybe 70, 100 kilos each. And we had dug down a new foundation to build a stronger wall in front of this existing wall. And we were uh, probably about waist deep in this sandy trench. And I felt this urge to get out of the trench. And as I clambered up and turned around, I saw the whole wall had collapsed right where I was. And I knew then that I would have been buried under those stones if it wasn't for God's protection over my life. So I came to know the protection of the angel wings. And I believe there's, there's, there's angels ministering spirits that are assigned to each of your lives, not only to protect you from evil, but to bring you into your divine destiny and to manipulate you, not to, in, a, in a bad sense, but just to guide you uh, to the right people, to the right place to bring you into your destiny. And that's why we need to submit our lives to God's presence every day and, and be led by His Spirit, led by His presence. Hide in Christ every day when, when I made a decision. Every day when I wake up, before I speak to anyone, I must enter into His presence. I must enter into that secret place to get uh, my leading for the day. And, and that's how, uh, by God's grace, I've been able to to live my life and through faith and patience inheriting the promises that he spoke over my life. So just want to encourage you today that, you know, if you don't see the doors of destiny opening for you, uh, just wait, just be patient and God will take you through a process to bring you uh, into his divine destiny. And, and in fact, he is even, he, he is even ordained angels angels to bring you uh, into that divine destiny. So Job says, though he slay me, yeah, I will trust in him. In verse 25, Job 19, verse 25, he, he had a revelation of Christ. He knew that he re, his Redeemer lived. He knew that Jesus lives. And he shall stand on that last day on the earth. And after that, my skin is destroyed. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. So our revelation of Christ is our hiding place. Your revelation of Christ, your experience of Christ throughout your Bible reading, through your prayer life, through your fellowship, through your service in God's house, through reaching out to others, your experience of Christ, that is your hiding place. And I just want to look at three areas of salvation, three areas that we can hide in Christ and we experience uh, the Lord Jesus Christ before, before we pray and, and close this meeting. We know that we are body, soul and spirit. And when Jesus walked on the earth, he was a God-man and he had a physical body. He had a soul and he had a spirit. 
And when we're born again, our spirit is made alive. And we know when he was on the cross, when he, when he breathed that last breath, it says that he gave up his spirit. And when he gave up his spirit, it was like the deal was sealed for the salvation of your spirit. Why? Because in his spirit, he had taken all of your sin that caused your spirit to die right from Adam. When Adam sinned, when Adam disobeyed God, when he rebelled, that moment his spirit died and his physical body started dying. So when Jesus gave up his spirit, it was a surrender to the table of sacrifice or in that instance, a cross of sacrifice. It was a complete surrender. And because he gave it up, he was then able to breathe on his disciples and renew their spirit. And he said, receive a different spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. So that which was corrupted was taken out of us by faith. And that which was incorruptible, the spirit of God was breathed into our spirit. So we have new life. And that's that's what the Bible calls being born again. We're made new. We feel like a new person. But that's not the complete salvation. There is also a salvation of our bodies. And that is understanding that Jesus paid for your sickness in your physical body. And part of the atonement of Christ is physical healing. We know that just as Jesus paid for the salvation of your spirit on the cross, he paid for your sickness at the whipping post before he went to the cross. Why? To fulfill Isaiah 53, if you could look with me in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This is a hiding place for your physical body. Just as when we're born again, we, we hide our spirits in the cross, in what Jesus achieved for us or what Jesus represented at the cross. If we have sickness in our bodies, there is a hiding place for us uh, where we can be healed. And it's Isaiah 53 verse 5. He says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So this is Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah who's going to come. And he's going to accomplish healing for us through receiving the whip on his back. By his stripes... We are healed, looking forward to what Jesus was going to accomplish. So when you look at that word healed, that word in the Hebrew uh, is, is, speaks about rafa. And uh, rafa is a word which means not spiritual healing, but physical healing to the flesh. And it's likened to a physician who goes about to the best of his knowledge and ability to heal your body. And we know it's one of the names of God. Jehovah Rafika is the Lord, our healer. So healing was not something that even 
started after Christ came, but it was in the very character, it is the very nature of God. But we see that any healing that happened in the Old Testament over mankind before Christ came to the whipping post, it was a downdraw on what Jesus was to do at the whipping post. It was like a drawing down from the bank of what was going to happen. So it was looking forward. Anytime anyone received physical healing, it was a looking forward to what Jesus was going to accomplish at the whipping post. So looking back, anytime you receive healing today in your physical body, it's a looking back to what Jesus accomplished, not at Calvary, but at the whipping post. Matthew writes about this in his gospel when he sees everyone coming to Jesus, when he sees all the sick coming to Jesus and all getting healed. I think it's Matthew 26. But all who came to him were, were healed. And then they realised, the Jewish people realised that this was a fulfilment of Isaiah 53, that by his stripes we are healed. And yet why do we have Christians today that don't understand this? In fact, there's wise scholars, theologians that don't understand this, that by his stripes we were healed. Why? It is because there is a blindness over man's eyes. It's a spiritual blindness that comes over their eyes that even though you may be an intelligent person, they can't get it. I mean, it's not hard to understand. By his stripes, we were healed, physical, physical healing. Not only that, we see Peter, the disciple Peter. We know the story that as he walked down the road, they would lay the sick out and his shadow, his very shadow would heal the sick. And he writes that it was accomplished by this because of what Jesus did at the whipping post. Because of what Jesus accomplished in the past, we now have healing in our physical body. So that is a hiding place for you. That is salvation for your body. And it is possible to be born again. It is possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not understand what Jesus accomplished for you at the whipping post. It is possible to have sickness in your body. In fact, there may be even some people here that right now have pain or sickness in your body. What I want to say to you is that is illegal. According to the Word of God, that pain or that sickness that you have in your body, it's there illegally. It has no right to be there because Jesus paid for your healing. And it will never be reversed. Even though so-called wise men don't believe it, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The things that are not to put to shame the things that are. Why? So that no man would glory in his presence. Jesus was whipped so that you could be healed. It's up to you whether you want to receive all of God's promises. But there is a hiding place for you in the stripes of Jesus. There's a hiding place. And not only that, there is also 
deliverance for your soul. It is possible to be born again. It's possible to be healed. And it's possible to pray for others for their healing and yet not be delivered from your soul. And I would encourage you to look into Jesus in this area in your life because Jesus had a soul. Jesus walked on the earth. When I say a soul, uh, we understand the soul of man to be linked to to our mind, our will, and our emotions, our feelings. It's who we are. It's how our spirit man relates to our physical body. But Jesus had a soul, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, he tried to identify with his disciples at this time in Gethsemane as he had taken communion and he'd gone out into the garden and we know it was a time where his soul cried out to God. In Matthew 26, 38, he's, he said to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My soul, this is the soul of Jesus. It was exceedingly sorrowful. So wherever your revelation of Christ is, that is your hiding place. Wherever you find Jesus, and and the Bible tells us that there is no temptation known to man that Jesus didn't go through. So there's hope for you. Just as there's hope for your salvation, there's hope for your healing of your body, there's hope for deliverance for your soul. Why? Because Jesus experienced the sorrow of his soul. But the disciples didn't get it. In fact, they fell to sleep. And he said, couldn't you just wait with me one hour? Couldn't you just pray with me one hour? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Have you ever experienced that so much sorrow in your soul that you feel like dying? That it's just driving you down? Well, Jesus experienced that. He, he was so much sorrow in his soul as he began to take upon himself the sorrow of your soul and my soul. The sorrow of mankind as their souls have been separated from very life itself. So we encourage them, stay with me and pray. And as he experienced that, he realised that he was on this journey by himself that nobody was going to stand with him. However, as he came out of the garden, in, uh, if we can read verse 48 to 50, it's very interesting what, what happens. His betrayer, remember the one who dipped in the communion bowl with him, the one that ate bread, that went into the house of God with him, that sang with him, and drank of the cup with him. His betrayer had given them a sign, who the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Words can be deceiving. Don't always believe what people say to you. But Jesus said to him, friend, he called him his friend. He betrayed him with a kiss. 
He came to destroy his life, and yet Jesus called him friend. See, even in the midst of sorrow, could you do that? That your soul was so sorrowful unto death, and yet you could look at your enemy and call him a friend? When the very person that comes to betray you, and to cause you to die, to be arrested for no wrong that you've done, could you look at him in love and call him a friend? This is the purity of Jesus' soul. And if you could find Jesus in this place, I guarantee you that your soul will be delivered this night. There are attachments that come into our soul, demonic attachments that attach themselves to, to our soul sometimes through hurt and pain that others have inflicted on us. But Jesus didn't allow any of those attachments to come into his soul because he only had pure love and forgiveness. So forgiveness doesn't allow any demonic activity to come into your life. But quite often, because of pain that we've gone through and trauma that we've gone through, there's doors open up to the demonic and they come in and set up residence. And quite often, we're not even aware that they're there. We're so used to it because we've been living with them for so long. But Jesus promises to deliver us from evil. In fact, he taught his disciples to pray in our Lord's Prayer. He said part of that prayer was deliver us from evil. That being said, it is possible for a man not to be delivered from evil. It is possible for a man not to be aware that he needs to be delivered from evil. So the betrayer came to Jesus with a kiss, but Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And they came and they laid their hands on Jesus and took him. They started treating him roughly. And sometimes maybe in, in your life, in your past, I just want us to take the opportunity to look back and see, you know, is there any pain in your past where others have treated you roughly? where others have treated you unfairly? Uh, is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there anyone that's hurt you? Is there anyone that's betrayed you? It could be a, your mother, your father, your cousin, uncle. could have been a friend at school that betrayed you, that betrayed your trust, that hurt you. There may be some trauma in your life that, that, that because of your reaction to that trauma, it opened a door for something, some attachment to come into your soul. And that is why now you're plagued with this, this trouble. And sometimes these attachments, they stop us from being free. But Jesus wants you to be free. Jesus wants you to be healed. He wants you to be saved in your spirit. And he wants you to be delivered in your soul. So wherever you find Jesus, that is your hiding place. Maybe you haven't never experienced deliverance in your soul. Maybe you've only experienced Christ of Calvary who heals your, forgives you for your sin. But maybe you've never experienced deliverance in your soul. Maybe tonight you need deliverance. Maybe you need to be delivered 
in your soul. Maybe you need uh, to allow Jesus to come into your soul. Maybe there's some bitterness or some resentment, some unforgiveness. And you'll find that in God's presence, as you just let that go, as you just start to forgive, it will just release your, your soul uh, into freedom. So Jesus, uh, in that place of pain, he, he found forgiveness. And he found, uh, because he found forgiveness, we can find healing. Because Jesus found uh, love, forgiveness, we can find deliverance for our soul. So that, this, is, this is what we would refer to complete salvation, body, soul, and spirit. Why? So that we can be free uh, from all the wiles and the snares of the devil. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to close now. We're going we're to pray. We're going to surrender our lives to the Lord and just let him, let him work in your life. And whatever your need is tonight, uh, whether you need physical healing in your body, uh, I pray that that would be met tonight. Your need would be met, that you would find healing. You would find the stripes of Jesus tonight and you would hide yourself in there. Not only you would be healed, but you would uh, walk in divine health for the rest of your days on this earth. You don't have to die in sickness. That's a lie. You don't have to spend the last five years of your life in and out of hospital. Why? Because Jesus paid for your healing. He paid for your health. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. There is truly fullness of joy in your presence. Why joy, Father? Because there's complete salvation. There's complete deliverance and there's complete healing you left nothing undone. You accomplished everything that man needs, his body, soul, and spirit. So, Father, we just give you an opportunity to come, to move through this room right now and to attend, attend to the needs of man, Father. We thank you, Jesus, that when you were on the earth, you took the towel and you came as a servant and you girded yourself and you went and washed your disciples' feet. I thank you for your servant-hearted uh, attitude and your willingness to leave everything in heaven and to come down and serve us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you left no dirt on our feet. Father, I thank you that your work is complete. Your salvation is complete. You left nothing undone. Father, there is no need in our life right now that you cannot fulfill. Father, I ask that you would just release your angel presence over everybody here tonight. Father, I thank you that your angels would come, the angels of your presence, the angels of your protection, the angels of your provision. Ministering spirits would come and minister to your people. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm that is before us. Father, I thank you that we live from that realm to the earth. Thank you, Lord. God, let, give us a love for your word and help us to encounter you tonight. 
And I'll just ask the uh, worship team to come. And we're just going to enter in a time of...